I am Planta on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Unlike uh, most books about sleep, a recent book looks at uh, insomnia as a physical and psychological condition. It's called In Search of Sleep, an Insomniac's Quest to Understand the Science, Psychology, and Culture of Sleeplessness. Its author, Berge Hofstede, joins me now, and I'll ask her about her own personal experience with insomnia. It got pretty bad, but she found a way out of it, including moving to a small village in France. In the book, she also discusses the myriad things that are keeping a lot of us awake at night, and it's no surprise that money is one of those things that worry us. And as uh, Berge's research reveals, inequality has a lot to do with this, that those with the least suffer the most when it comes to sleeplessness. It's a fascinating book, and there's a lot here that uh, will attract uh, those interested in history, neuroscience, as well as cultural anthropology. Berge Hofstede is uh, a journalist and author whose books uh, have been nominated for international prizes and translated into multiple languages. This book was translated by Alice Tetley Paul and is published by Greystone Books. We uh, taped this interview in early June with Ms. Hofstede joining me from the Netherlands. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Breke Hofstede. Ms. Hofstede, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. I guess it's evening where you are. Um, yes, it is. I found the book fascinating because sleep has always interested me um, in, 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 a, in a couple of ways. Um, I, I grew up, um, I'm, I'm 41, and so I, I've grown up in an era where um, sleep has, has um, been, it's been told to me that it's somewhat unfashionable, that um, you know, I, I, there are other things that I could do instead of sleep. Um, that, that's, uh, you know, friends or, or marketing tells me that or, or um, um, <laughs> figures in, 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 you know, public figures who, who issue sleep because they think that, um, you know, uh, sleep's a waste of time. Um, on the other hand, um, I'm someone who has found it at times uh, difficult to get to sleep. And, and, and I, I always thought it was insomnia, but I guess after reading the book, um, um, just because I can't get to sleep doesn't mean it's insomnia, is it? Well, insomnia just means you can't get to sleep or you can't stay asleep. Mm. But you only call it insomnia if it's at least three times a week for at least three months at the time and you're really you know, suffering from it during the day. So yeah. if it's really, really bad, you call it insomnia, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I have uh, sometimes the problem of getting to sleep. But then once asleep, um, it's hard to wake up, and I, I think that's that's there's a there's a difference there, isn't there? Well, there's different types of insomnia. Either you can have trouble falling asleep, mm-hmm. or you can sleep, but then wake up during the night and have trouble falling back asleep. So there's different kinds. But in any case, if you have difficulty sleeping at whatever point during the night, um, you can develop insomnia. So, so you you write about your own. In, insomnia in the book, and I, I found that interesting because it, it, it makes the story all the more personal. Um, how long was the struggle for you, or when did it start, I should say? My struggle with sleep started in my early 20s, when I was just you know finishing uh, my education and mm-hmm. starting to look for a job, which was really difficult. So I guess when real life began, with real responsibility, and, um, and it Lasted for about a decade, so until I was in my early thirties, basically. 
And how, how did it feel? I mean, um, you obviously had things to do during the day, you know, professional and personal responsibilities that you had to fulfill. Um, did you find that extremely difficult because you didn't get, say, a good night's sleep the, the night before? Um, I found it very disheartening, and I, I was just basically very afraid that I would never sleep well again and that I would be tired for the rest mm, of my life. Right. So it was, it was fear mostly. But the thing is that you know you read a lot nowadays about how lack of sleep will make you um, um, will make it hard for you to uh, achieve anything during the day. Will make it hard for you to focus. But the thing is with insomniacs. They react differently. If you have a good sleep, as someone who usually has no trouble, yeah. and you keep them awake for a couple of nights, they they will do really really bad at any test you put the put them to. But for an insomniac, actually they'll do remarkably well in any case, even when they're sleeping badly night after night. And this has to do with the core problem of insomniacs. Actually, um, it's it's called um, hyper-arousal, which uh-huh. means basically that you're hyper-awake, hyper-focused, hyper um, both during the night and during the day. So the upside of that is that even if you can't sleep, you will still be able to have a good focus during the day because you, you are aroused. So that was also my experience. I was able to do my work, but I was also very tired and so so focused on, you know, I, I wanted to sleep so badly yeah. that I wouldn't really stay up late with friends. I would be, you know, focused on getting sleep, um, which really, you know, isn't a very nice way to spend your life. Indeed. Um, you, you spoke a moment ago about fear. Um, you talked about the fear of never getting back to sleep. Um I can't tell you how much I um, found that fascinating. I was reading that in the book. I, I, um, uh, I, I, <laughs> I almost, I almost sat at my desk reading that and and, and worried not not just for you but for myself as well and for for other people who find it difficult to sleep. I mean, um, that fear of not being able to sleep. I can't imagine what that's like. Yes, and I think that for many people, uh, insomnia gets to be a kind of you know, um, a vicious circle where you get so afraid of not sleeping that the fear will actually keep you awake. And yeah. and the longer that lasts, the, the, the worse it gets. So for me, um, one of the one of the moments where I thought, oh, there's more to this than I thought, was when I went to the GP, the doctor, yeah. and they told me, well, I can either, you know, diagnose you with a sleep disorder or I can say that it's um, an anxious, that you're just... Um, that you're anxious yeah. because these things are remarkably similar. And they also, once um, with the same symptoms, so basically lack of sleep, they said, well, I think you're depressed. Because actually, if you take depression, anxiety, and insomnia, 80% of the symptoms are identical. And the ways that these three things manifest in the brain are also identical. So I spoke to one sleep scientist who said, who told me that. In his opinion, insomnia is not a sleep disorder because the sleep parts of your brain are absolutely fine. It's more like a mood disorder because it's so alike to depression and anxiety that it's really, really hard to tell them apart. And actually, um, the way that sleep science has functioned over the past decades, trying to separate everyone who is depressed and everyone who is anxious 
from those people who are insomniacs is really weird because he told me that he did research where he had 500 uh, patients, all of them sleeping badly, and he also asked them, are you feeling a bit anxious? Are you depressed? And then he took all of those people out of his research and he ended up with 35 out of the 500 he started with. So that means that most sleep research is done on the basis of a tiny group of people who might not actually be re representative of <laughs> the vast majority of people who are ha having trouble sleeping. So uh, I look at, uh, um, a lot in the book at the, um, the links between anxiety and, uh, and sleeplessness because they're so strong. Yeah, the, the, that connection between insomnia, depression, and anxiety, um, that's such a worrisome part of the book because, um, because of their connection, obviously. But, but so many people deal with one or more of those things. And um, I, I guess you've seen that in, in the course of writing the book through your research, that um, these things are quite prevalent in society, not, in, not just in North America, but Europe and elsewhere. Is that right? Yes, they are. Absolutely. All of them. And all of them are seemingly on the rise. And if you look at them separately, that's growing enough. But if mm. you look at them as a kind of threesome, or three things which, which go together, yeah. then that's, the figures are even more staggering, actually. What, what role do you think industry has in all of this? I mean, it, it, I, I spoke a moment ago about, um, I, I started the conversation, to say, by, by being told how sleep is unnecessary. Um, uh -huh. You know, there's so many products and, and, and so many figures in, in, in public life that tell us so. Um, employers obviously want us to, 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 to work more or work, um, uh, get more work out of us. Um, who, who do we blame for, for where we are in terms of our sleep? I mean, are, are, there are certain actors, aren't there? That, 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 uh... so that's a very interesting question. Actually, there's, been a, there's, a, there's a big history of people telling us that we don't need, need sleep at all. Um, writers of self-help books like, uh, like Carnegie, right. who said that probably um, two hours was enough, and perhaps we didn't even need sleep. It was just a bad habit that humans needed to break. <laughs> um, so... Um, and then there's all these lists of, you know, Richard Branson doing just three hours a night, um, Elon Musk going on three hours a night, and all these, it's like um, a hit list where you have to sleep as little as possible to be yeah. one of the great. Yeah. But then in recent years, I've seen a big change in that. Where actually, now I see a lot of the opposite, where people say, sleep more, it will boost your social life. Mm. Sleep more, it will boost your productivity sleep more because it will be good for your health. And I even saw a leaflet which was handed out to employees, I think it was in America, where the heading was sleep or die. And on one side there was a bed, and on the other side there was a coffin, and they had listed all the bad effects of having a lack of sleep. And, I mean, perhaps that's well meant, but I also read um, a marketing um, advice where people, for no, not marketing, but uh, management advice, where, where someone spoke to them, um, uh, gave the advice that uh, to tell your employees to sleep more is a really cheap way of boosting productivity. <laughs> so you see a kind of switch there yeah. now, where now you have to sleep for the boss, yeah. where first you have to be awake. And the effect of that is still, you have to maximize your, you know, your <laughs> the money that you make, that, mm. that can be made out of you. And for me, as an insomniac, reading a leaflet saying sleep or die, I was like, oh, my God, 
I am now lying awake. I am going to have cancer. I'm going to have diabetes. I'm going to have Alzheimer's. And you know, all of the bad effects, they, they just rub it in uh, so much that the anxiety is just through the roof. So there's a lot of pressure on all of us to be as productive as we can possibly be um, with no attention <laughs> for, you know, things like happiness and health or yeah. very little. Um, and sleep, either way, is suffering because if you pressure people that they should sleep more and that they should measure their sleep in sleeping tracking apps, and in the morning they look, oh my God, I didn't reach my seven hour or my eight hour, you know, quoting. Yeah. They'll be stressed about this, and this will be detrimental to the sleep as well. So, there's a, we together, you know, mostly I think industry and um, uh, employees or employers, I'm sorry, uh-huh. have put so much pressure on sleep, either to not sleep or to sleep as much as we can to be productive. But this has really undermined a really, really basic habit. Yeah. And uh, w- one of the things in my research which really opened my eyes was when I read that basically all animals we know of are known to sleep. Even earthworms, they sleep. Uh-huh. And the only species which has developed insomnia is human, is, is man. Yeah. With the exception of the animals that we keep in captivity. So if you put, for instance, a horse in too small uh, a stable, they will start biting at the woodwork and they will sway from side to side instead of sleeping because they'll be too stressed to mm. sleep. And that really brought, you know, begs the question, are we animals living in some kind of captivity, yeah. either, you know, in small cages of time because we're constantly stressed out or with lack of money or in the wrong surroundings, you know, surrounded by bricks and in small in small rooms. Um, so the, the fact that we're, you know, so commonly having trouble sleeping, one in ten of us or one in nine in North America uh-huh. is having severe uh, sleeping problems. That's just, that's amazing. That tells us that something is off. Yeah. You, you mentioned money a moment ago, and there's a, there's a, a um, I was going to say funny moment. It's not that funny because I, I, I've seen this in grocery stores where I, I uh, pardon me just a second here, where, where I've seen this in, in line waiting and the person in front of me or, or two people in front of me, um, the, the, uh, the, they go to pay and their, their payment doesn't go through and you hear that beep. And, um, Everyone else in the lineup turned around and looked at them, you know, and uh, you can tell that that there are a lot of people anxious about money. Um, That's something that you write about in the book, that that, uh, changing one's life with with regards to that is is necessary because a lot of people are kept awake by money, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, unsurprisingly, if you have money trouble or worry or if you don't know whether you can pay for tomorrow's groceries obviously this will this will this will make your chances of developing a sleep disorder much much higher and in general the more money you have the more chances you have of a good night's sleep so Mm. today with the inflation and food prices rising i think this is a major problem and will keep more and more people awake at night i'm afraid and, and, and it also shows that, yeah. that economic inequality, mm-hmm. I mean, usually if we talk about sleep problems, um, you get a list of things you probably do wrong. You yourself, you should do more exercise. You should eat more healthy foods. 
you should avoid looking at the screens. You should have blackout curtains. You should do this and this and this. And if it's not your habits, then probably it's something in your brain which is wrong. So if you're if there's a problem with, with sleep, we automatically assume there's a problem with the sleeper. Right. But if you look at the research, and this is what I'm trying to do in my book, to broaden the view that we take of sleep and sleeping problems, you see that all kinds of problems come into play, like economic inequality, economic insecurity, loneliness is a really big thing in sleep and keeping you awake. Um, and then you'll see that it's not just you. It's also the world as we've now organized it, which can make it really hard to, you know, feel safe enough to sleep. So if you really, really want to get to the bottom of why we're collectively having such trouble, we should also be asking the question, what, in what kind of world would we feel safe to go to sleep? Yeah, that's that's the thing in the book that I found incredibly profound is when you talk about inequality in the world, um, these problems aren't spread out throughout society. I mean, certain uh, groups of people, economic classes, races, that are affected um, negatively by all of this, right, more than, than, say, others. Absolutely. And you see very clearly worldwide um, that gender plays a major role. Women have generally have a lot a higher chance of developing sleep disorders than men do. Yeah. And this starts in puberty. Um, it's also connected to the lower socioeconomic status of women. So if you correct for income um, and you just compare men and women with the same income, half of the difference disappears. But if you take men and women as a group, women will do much worse in sleeping. And the same goes for um, ethnicity. Uh-huh. If you take people who are um, Latinx or uh, black or people of color uh-huh. in white societies and Western societies, they'll have a big sleep gap. And part of that is to do with their economic inequality, which is also to do with racism. Yeah. Um, but part of it will also be to do directly with experiences of racism. You, you see in research that if a person experiences even microaggression, not something really, really major and violent, but just a, a microaggression, a racist comment, for instance, that night they will have more trouble getting to sleep and they'll wake up more often during the night. So all of these really big problems show up in the bedroom in sleep or yeah. in sleeping, sleeplessness. Yeah. Now, you're not a particularly extravagant person. You're not, as you write in the book, you're not known to spend a great deal or... Uh, live that sort of life, but but you decided, uh, as you were uh, contending with your insomnia, that y- you needed to uh, change your life and simplify it. Um, yeah. In terms of getting to that point and 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 realizing that's what you needed to do, um, was it hard to convince yourself to get on that path? Say. Um. Not really. One of the, <laughs> I'd say that the hidden upsides of insomnia is that if you're sleepless for long enough. Um, a lot of decisions will start to look absolutely doable. For instance, Mm. what I did finally was to leave Amsterdam where I was living and where rent is high Uh um, and move to a small hamlet in rural France where living is really cheap. And I had the good luck of, you know, being able to work from home because I I write for a living. Um, And I thought, well, I'm, I'm always stressed about money. Maybe if I down the cost of living uh, in, in a big way, this will help me. 
Um, and if you're, I was so, um, I was so desperate, really, <laughs> after 10 years of sleeplessness, I was willing to do anything. So the choice for me was really easy. Once I hit on this research showing the connections of sleep with, you know, the, the surroundings you live in, um, time pressure, money worries, loneliness, um, all these bigger issues in life, I thought, okay, well, maybe I should take a test and change my own life, see if it works. Um, and luckily for me, it did. And this is not to say that people should all move to rural areas. For some people, that will be the worst decision. Because <laughs> be, for instance, they'll just be lonely or they'll be miserable. Right. But for me, this solved uh, some of my biggest problems in that in that moment. And um, most of all, it showed me that I wasn't, you know, it wasn't a disorder of my brain and I was doomed to lie awake forever. Um, it was actually something, if I could change my context, I could also change my life. So the the, the fact that lying awake is, is, is a problem of your day-to-day life and not your nightly life, that was a big eye-opener for me. And that was what got me to, you know, decide to finish this book and, and write about it. So, so you describe your, your, your life there in, in, in France, um, and, and it's, it's quite an idyllic life in terms of, of um, you know, the pressures of city life, for example, are not, are not there, and uh, you're, you're able to sleep better, obviously. So what is it like, I, I've reached you today in, in the Netherlands, um, what is it like when you get back to, say, the, 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 uh, the, you know, a different place altogether? Is, is it a difficult adjustment altogether, especially for your sleep? Um, it, it is a bit, but um, so far, I mean, it's early days. I've, I've moved back. I've been here for a week now. Uh-huh. Um, but so far, so good. And I think that I, I try really consciously to keep, to hang on to some of the habits I, I had when I was living um, in my idyllic <laughs> garden in France. Um, I still have the dog I, I got when I lived there, so I still go out three times a day for a long walk. And so I try to build these kind of islands of rest into the day. And so far, this has been good. Also, I, I moved back to Zelda, but not to Amsterdam. I moved to a smaller city where the rents are a bit lower. Uh-huh. So I, I do try to find the kind of, you know, I do try to organize my life in such a way that it's still compatible with sleep, even though at this moment it's no longer possible for me to live um, as I was doing for the last four years unfortunately. Yeah. And I think this is a good, for me, it's a good experiment because it's, it's, it seems almost too easy to say, okay, well, I'll move to France, bye-bye, sleeping problems. If I can keep, you know, if I can keep the sleep while moving back to the city, that'll, that'll be the real test. And so far, um, so far, so good. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Knock on wood. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, the other thing that that I, I found just fascinating is, is, is you talk about it in the book are dreams. Um, I, I don't get nearly enough sleep. I, I probably average about f- uh, five hours, six if I'm lucky, uh, a, a night during the week. And um, I found that when when I sleep a little less than that, I don't get to that point where I have dreams. Um, sometimes I don't enjoy the dreams. Um, there's a there's this, a part in the book where you talk about um, you found yourself dreaming about dictators or uh, dictatorial mm-hmm. figures, and um, I, I, I was wondering what do you think that meant in terms of um, why we dream and, and the things we dream about. 
Well, there's a big, big range of interpretations. Actually, nobody really knows why we dream. Yeah. Um, some people put great faith in their dreams as a kind of foretelling um, um, vision. Mm. Other people say, well, it's just something your brain does in order to, uh, you know, to process the day. It doesn't mean anything. It's just like, um, I don't know, fizzes a bit during the night. Um, and I think, well, if you, if you look... One thing I've, I've, I thought was really interesting during COVID was that um, we collectively started to dream a lot about the virus and about pandemics and about being locked in and about, yeah. you know. So obviously um, our experience does have a kind of effect on our, on our dreams. And I think there's much to be said for the interpretation that it's, I know it's gone out of fashion, but, but the interpretation that dreams do, you know, have links to the unconscious life of the mind. So that if you look at them closely, you might get a gist of something that you're worried about, but during the day you suppress. And um, some uh, a, a psychiatrist told me that uh, the things that keep you awake are usually things that are so, you know, so dreadful to you that you do not dare to relinquish control of your conscious mind so you keep away because <laughs> yeah. you're just so tense and those are also the things that if you do manage to fall asleep or if you do slip away into a dream those are the things which will be turned into into dreams by your unconscious mind so there's a kind of link a bit vague a bit tenuous but um there are people who think that the things that you dream about will tell you why you're lying awake <laughs> yeah. it's a bit paradoxical but because you still have to fall asleep to be able to dream, but if you do, uh, there might be some interesting information in there. And, and so how have you found it um, as you've sort of uh, uh, gone on this path of recovering from insomnia? Um, have your dreams become, say, uh, more vivid, or um, uh, do you dream with, with more frequency even? Yes, they have. Um, it's a funny thing with dreams. It's like it's, it's almost like you can invite them. As soon as you start thinking about them and anticipating them and paying attention, you'll remember them much more. So um, even just the, the the fact of reading about them. When I was writing, researching this book, I was reading a lot about uh, dreams, and um, at the very moment uh, my dreams started to get much more vivid. So I now remember them a lot more and notice them a lot more and I guess that also means I pay attention <laughs> yeah. more so it's a kind of self-fulfilling thing really yeah I've noticed that during the summer I have more time to, to actually get to sleep and uh, if I do dream about things that they're not even interesting or, or important um, I don't enjoy that I, I much rather just <laughs> have not dreamt at all I think you know but uh, I guess it's different for uh, a lot of people. The other thing that I found interesting as I was reading your book was um, a lot of people are told that insomnia doesn't exist, that it's all in their head. Um, yeah. I, I found that um, annoying and, and uh, upsetting in a way. Um, that happens a lot, doesn't it? It does. I mean, there's, there's a big, you know, very well-known book by Matthew Walker, Why We Sleep. And he actually calls insomniacs hypochondriacs because he thinks it's all in our minds and we're really sleeping fine. And the thing is that if you put an insomniac into a you know um, a brain, you, you put all kinds of 
electrodes on their head and you measure the brain waves, um, they'll look a lot like the brain waves of someone who has slept. But um, what what you actually measure, uh, a neuroscientist explained to me that you just measure uh, huge movements of electricity uh-huh. in the outer part of the brain, which really tells you, in his words, uh, 0.01% of what's actually going on. So you see just a little bit of the outside part of the brain and what's happening in the brain itself, we just don't know. We, we put so much faith in these EEG scans, as they're called, yeah. um, that we just draw the conclusion that whatever you're saying, you might be miserable, you might claim that you've been awake all night. I tell you you've been asleep because the, the graph says so. Um, but probably it's very possible that, um, well, actually, I should rephrase it is probably the case that as just like you can have micro sleeps where you're you know suddenly losing attention and for a fraction of a second yeah. you've been asleep if you're really tired this can this cause a lot of accidents on the highway yeah, you're driving, the reverse yeah. is probably also possible that you while you're sleeping you experience micro awakenings so someone who's an insomniac might be you know you might they might look like they're asleep they might breathe as though they're asleep but some part of their brain is constantly on the lookout, is constantly alert, and is not letting go of consciousness altogether. So it's really, really hard to draw lines between those who are sleeping and those who are waking. There's a big, 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 and you know, gray <laughs> gradient scale between the two of them, and that's something that um, people often forget if, when they say, you know, insomnia is is just something you make up. Yeah. It's it's really not. Yeah. This is such a fascinating book. I, I, I can't tell you. How, well, I was going to say I enjoyed it, but I, a lot of it worried me. Um, mm. But I, I found it just a, 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 there's so many marvelous uh, stories that you tell in the book as well as research that you, you present that, that it's such an important book. Uh, congratulations, and, and uh, I, I so appreciate your time today. Thanks for this. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. The book is called In Search of Sleep, An Insomniac's Quest to Understand the Science, Psychology, and Culture of Sleeplessness. It's published by Greystone Books. Its author, Berge Hofstede, joined me on the line from the Netherlands. In Vancouver, I'm Joseph Plato.